The Consolations of Philosophy by Elaine de Botton. This is such an incredible book going over a lot of famous philosophers. So from Nietzsche, Arthur Schopenhauer, Mikhail de Montague, Seneca, the Younger, Epicurus, and Socrates. It really just lessons from each of these philosophers and then, you know, consolations from each of them, you know, consoling with us. And you know what we're going to do in this, this episode is just start with dessert. So we're going to skip the main course, start with dessert. Really, in the end, he, it's, it's Nietzsche. And Nietzsche lived a very interesting life. You know, he, he kind of went, he was really searching for wisdom, searching for philosophy. And a lot of his life, he lived in the mountains. And kind of what we get at the end of this book is not everything which makes us feel better is good for us. Not everything which hurts us may be bad. So let me repeat that. And because it's very profound, it actually takes a long time to actually wrap your head around. So not everything which makes us feel better is good for us. Not everything which hurts may be bad. So this is the idea behind, you know, Jordan Peterson's in his book, 12 Rule for Life, his seventh step, which is, or his seventh rule, sorry, (laughs) his seventh rule, which is, you know, um, basically do what is meaningful, not what is expedient. And it's the same idea with this, you know, stoic, the practice of stoicism, you know, stoic mentality, which is basically foregoing present pleasure for future gain. And basically a nation is born stoic and dies Epicurean. Epicurean is basically someone who gives into current pleasure constantly, always um, it has kind of this quote unquote YOLO mentality and uh, just, just really foregoes you know, really foregoes future gain and gives into present pleasure. So lots of masturbation, lots of fatty foods. And, and in this, today's world, it's so easy to do this. You know, it actually used to be harder to do. It used to be easier to be a stoic when we were hunter and gatherers. And uh, now it's, it's so much easier to just give into momentary pleasures because you can't save your phone. You can just get dopamine hits all the time. You can play games. You know, it's, it's really the we have the abundance of technology. So it's, it's really basically decreeing upon yourself to go, okay, I understand that not everything which makes me feel better is actually good for me and not everything which hurts me may be bad. You know, not working out, for example, you know, when you feel pain, that's when you, re- especially like in, in workouts and this applies to business. That's what, that's why I really like these, these concepts that you can apply to all areas of life, you know, health, both love and happiness. So health you know, if someone went into the gym, they got underneath the bench press and let's say they have a personal trainer with them or a buddy with them, and the buddy spotting them and they go to pick up the bar, they take it down to their chest and they go to push up and then they go, oh, there's pain, there's pain. And then they just drop it on their chest. They're like, what the heck? There's pain. Well, not everything which is bad, you know, not everything which hurts you may be bad. And this may seem obvious with the gym. You know, people understand the same with like a push up, same with a sit up. And what we don't realize is it's true in business. It's true in life. Those things that stress you out, those things that, you know, you want to procrastinate are really those things where you should go, okay, I'm recognizing my subconscious mind pushing me away from this. Let me turn on it and go, I'm going to do double that. I'm going to, I'm going to move forward that, you know, and, and really pursue that because those things which make us fear the most really are the things that make us grow the most. You know, there is no growth without failure. You know, you have to fail to grow. You have to hurt to grow. It is part of life. You cannot just live in a bubble. <laughs> we talked about this yesterday with Joel Salatin and Joe Rogan talking about, you know, our, our natural bodies 
um, you know, biome, you know, your, your biome. And if you just live in a bubble your whole life, have no adversity, well, the moment you're faced with a little bit, you're going to crumble. And to regard states of distress in general as an objection, you know, as something to be abolished is, in general, sense a real disaster in its consequences, almost as stupid as a will to abolish bad weather. That's very profound. And that's, that's basically what they wrap up the book with. And that's really what, you know, the majority of this is talking about, you know, I love this book. You know, in the beginning, they talk a lot about uh, um, Socrates. And, and, you know, this is a very interesting section that I actually really like. So, but the philosopher had not buckled before unpopularity in the condemnation of the state. He had not retracted his thoughts because of others had complained. Moreover, his confidence had sprung from a more profound source than hot-headedness or bull-like courage. It had been grounded in philosophy. Philosophy supplied Socrates with the convictions in which he had been able to have rational as opposed to hysterical confidence when faced with disapproval. So, you know, his confidence sprung from that profound source. You know, everybody turned against Socrates. And in, in his town... Everybody turned against him. He, he was this very interesting man, very odd. You know, he, he stood out from the crowd. And he basically made a conscious effort to ground his thoughts, his ideas, in philosophy. And Socrates' the life is what they go on to talk about. And, you know, most, his most curious feature was his habit of approaching Athenians of every class. This is something that I actually found very, very interesting. So... Age and occupation had bluntly asking them, without worrying whether they would think him eccentric or infuriating, to explain with precision why they held certain common sense beliefs and what they took to be the meaning of life. And this is very interesting. This is actually um, somebody from the general population talking about Socrates. So they basically said whenever anyone comes face to face with Socrates and has a conversation with him, what invariably happens is that although he may have started on a completely different subject first, Socrates will keep heading him off as they're talking until he has him trapped in giving an account of his present lifestyle and the way he has spent his life in the past. And once he has him trapped, Socrates won't let him go before he has well and truly cross-examined him from every angle. So this is very interesting. Basically, he would dive into these commonly held beliefs. And this is something that I encourage everyone to do here listening and here at the Modern Academy. You know, Warren Buffett says every year you want to basically get rid of a deeply held belief in your mind. So people have deeply held ideologies. You know, they hate Donald Trump. They hate Hillary Clinton. They hate Catholicism, they hate atheism, they hate Democrats, they hate Republicans, they, um, I don't know, they hate boxing or they hate football, all these different things. It's like hate, hate, hate. Well, that's extreme ideology. And as Charlie Munger says, try not to hold it in extreme ideologies. And that's really what Socrates was doing. He was basically playing mind games. He was, he was playing mental chess with them. And this is something that's very interesting and I think we can all apply to our lives. And the sandalous philosopher raised a plethora of questions to determine what was popular happened to make sense. So there's a lot of commonly held beliefs in our society that really don't make sense. And we're beginning to see this, you know, 
in this time of the epidemic where people are talking about the new normal. Well, what we were experiencing before, we actually talked about this in the in the quarantine side chat today on the, if you want to listen to that, that's the May 22nd quarantine side chat if you're listening to this down the road. But really what we talked about is this new normal, quote unquote, with the quarantine, with the coronavirus, what we were living in wasn't normal. Study history. Look at what we've been through throughout all of history. The way we've always lived has changed. You know, we as a human species have been used to these creature comforts. And it's it's very interesting when you really dive into that. You know, what, what we're used to now is not normal. It is it is these creature comforts that we've basically fabricated for ourselves. We've created these out of technology and the way things have used to be, that, that's why I really liked that episode with Joe Rogan and Joel Salatin, because Joel Salatin is a man who lives on a farm, you know, he, he lives with the Amish, Amish, apologies, and farms, you know, he's very close to the earth, and he really finds meaning in nature, meaning in the, you know, basics of life. And I apologize. I'm make, trying to make a conscious effort to stop saying you know in my episodes because that's instead of going um or an in-between word, I have a bad habit of saying you know. So I'm going to make a conscious effort to not say that. But Joel Salatin, that was just a little aside, Joel Salatin is so close to nature and so close to the way we've always lived that he he finds happiness. And you, you see this, you know, ah, count myself. So the depression levels in the Amish are one-fourth of the depression levels in general population. And the Amish don't have any technology. They don't have the same comforts, pleasures, and this that we have. And this kind of all ties around into everything that hurts is not actually bad for you. So you may think that living the same life as the Amish would hurt you, but if you actually looked at it, that pain brings pleasure. And the meaning of life, all these philosophers go through is this stoicism, this foregoing present pleasure for future gain. Because if you, you can just easily give in to all the present pleasures now. And, but what does that gain you? What does playing a video game 12 hours a day gain you? I've struggled with this. A lot of my friends and a lot of people that I grew up with, you know, went to high school with, play a lot of video games and it's at the end of the day that it's just a pleasure machine it's it's just simulating life basically and it's not even really simulating life it's simulating a very warped version of life just in it at the end of the day when you pull away from that if somebody destroyed your game let's say or, or deleted your account well what would all that time have meant to you isn't that an interesting paradox so I invite you to think a bit more about that, especially if if you play a lot of video games, just think a little bit more about that. So Socrates engages us, encourages us not to be unnerved by the confidence of people who fail to respect the complexity and formulate their views without at least as much rigor as a potter. What is declared obvious and natural is rarely so. Recognition of this should teach us to think that the world is more flexible than it seems. For the established views have frequently emerged not through a process of failure flaw or sorry, 
faultless reasoning, but through centuries of intellectual muddle. There may have been no good reason for things to be the way they are. Anyone with a curious and well-ordered mind who seeks to evaluate common sense beliefs can start a conversation with a friend in a city street by following the Socratic method may arrive at one of two groundbreaking ideas in under half an hour. So the Socratic method of examination, common sense is observable in all Plato's early and middle dialogues. And because of its, it follows consistent steps may without injustice be presented in the language of a recipe book or manual and applied to any belief one is asked, accepts or feels inclined to repeal against. So, have you used the Socratic method? That's something that's very interesting. You know, this is the, sorry for the, you know, I'm really, really trying to make a conscious effort so that if you haven't used it and you don't really remember it from school, this is the Socratic method of thinking. So it's six steps. Number one, locate a statement confidently described as common sense. Two, imagine for a moment that despite the confidence of the person proposing it, the statement is false. Search for situations or contexts where the statement would not be false. Would, sorry, where the statement would not be true. So, um, and we'll go into an example at, after this. We'll, so again, that, that first one was locate a statement cons- confidently described as common sense. So for example, those quote unquote deeply held beliefs, these things that um, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, these kind of extreme ideologies and then step two is imagine for a moment that despite the confidence, search for situations or contexts where the statement could not be true. And then three, if an examination is found, the definition must be false or at least imprecise. Four, the initial statement must be nuanced to take the exception into account. Five, if one subsequently finds exceptions, To the improved statements, the process should be repeated. The truth, insofar as human being is able to attain such a thing, lies in a statement which it seems impossible to disprove. It is finding out what something is not that one comes closest to understanding what it is. Very interesting. So it is by finding out what something is not that one comes closest to understanding what it is. That's very, very powerful right there. So... That is really the power of inversion, using that as a logical tool. You know, we use Occam's razor and the power of inversion a lot here at the Modern Academy. And the last step is the product of thought is whatever Aristophanes insinuated superior to the product of intuition. That will wrap up today's episode on the Constellations of Philosophy. This was really just scratching the surface. I absolutely love this book. This is my second time going through it. Tomorrow I may actually use the uh, Socratic method for thinking as a podcast episode. So if you guys want that, um, drop us a comment. And don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and subscribe. Thank you very much for listening. I truly, really enjoy all of my listeners and really, really appreciate everyone being there. I hope everyone's staying healthy in these times. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time.